He who has just spoken to us is Bishop Henry B. Eyring, first counselor in the presiding bishopric. President Benson has suggested that I next speak to you. King David, in one of his beautiful and moving psalms, declared, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And that venerable man of wisdom, even Job, added, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest place thy heart upon him? We need not grope for the answers to these questions, my dear brethren. All one has to do is stand behind this microphone in this pulpit and gaze into your faces and recognize the faces of those in the many buildings throughout the world where the priesthood broadcast is being transmitted, and one comes to a conclusion that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are an holy nation. Ye are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. As bearers of the priesthood, brethren, we have been placed on earth in troubled times. Political machinations destroy the stability of nations, and despots grasp for power. And some areas, unfortunately, seem forever downtrodden, deprived of opportunity, and left with a feeling of failure. We who hold the priesthood of God can make a difference, brethren. When we are blessed with the Spirit of the Lord, we can build boys, we can mend men, we can accomplish miracles in His holy service. Our opportunities are without limit. We can take comfort from that great quotation that the greatest force in the world today is the power of God as it works through man. If we are on the Lord's errand, we are entitled to the Lord's help. That divine help, however, is predicated upon our worthiness. To sail safely the seas of mortality, we need the inspiration and guiding influence of that wise mariner, even the great Jehovah. We reach out, we reach up for heavenly help. Are our reaching hands clean? Are our yearning hearts pure? A great lesson is learned from the pages of history, a lesson on worthiness from the words of the dying King Darius, king of all Persia and even of Egypt. His rival, Alexander the Great, had been declared legitimate son of Ammon. He too was Pharaoh. Alexander, finding the defeated Darius on the point of death, laid his hands upon his head and attempted to heal him, commanding him to arise and regain his kingly powers. He said, I swear unto thee, Darius, by all the gods, that I do these things truly and without fakery. Darius replied with a gentle rebuke, Alexander, my boy, do you think you can touch heaven with those hands of yours? An inspiring lesson, brethren, is learned from a recent Viewpoint article from the back page of the Church section of the Deseret News. 
I would like to quote this great lesson to us. To some, it may seem strange to see ships of many nations loading and unloading cargo along the docks at Portland, Oregon. That city is 100 miles from the ocean. Getting there involves a difficult passage, sometimes a turbulent passage, over the bar, guiding the entrance to the Columbia River, and then the long trip up the Columbia and the Willamette to Portland. But ship captains like to tie up at Portland. They know that as their ships travel the Salton Seas, a curious saltwater shellfish called a barnacle fastens itself to the hull and stays there for the rest of its life, surrounding itself with a rock-like shell. As more and more barnacles attach themselves to the hull of the vessel, they increase the ship's drag, they slow its progress, they decrease its efficiency. Periodically, the ship must go into dry dock, where with great effort, the barnacles are chiseled or scraped off. It's a difficult, expensive process that ties the ship up for days. But not if the captain can get his ship to Portland. Barnacles can't live in fresh water. There in the sweet fresh waters of the Willamette or the Columbia, the barnacles loosen and fall away, and the ship returns to its task lightened and renewed. Sins are like barnacles. Hardly anyone goes through life without picking up some. They increase our drag. They slow our progress. They decrease our efficiency. My dear brethren, unrepented, barnacles stacked on barnacles, building up one on another, can eventually sink us. In his infinite love and mercy, our Lord has provided a harbor where, through repentance, our barnacles can fall from us and be forgotten. And then, with our souls lightened and renewed, we can go efficiently about our work and his. Close quote. My dear brethren, our Lord and Savior has provided for our guidance in our time models to follow. I call them pioneers. For Webster's definition of a pioneer in one case is one who goes before, showing others the way to follow. With faith as their moving power, these pioneers have sailed upstream against the currents of doubt everywhere to be found. We cannot help but be uplifted by their statements and by the philosophy of their lives. First from Nephi. I will go and do the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Then, of course, from Samuel, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. From the Apostle Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. From Job, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand on the earth at the last day. From Joseph, I go as a lamb to the slaughter, but I am calm as a summer morn, for I have a conscience void of offense toward God and all men. You may say these are men of yesteryear, but what about today? 
Are there men who can make the difference today? When President Spencer W. Kimball was called to preside over the Church, a new surge of activity was everywhere felt. He declared, we must lengthen our stride, and then he stepped forward and the whole Church followed. When President Ezra Taft Benson was called as the President of the Church, he called to our attention that we had neglected the Book of Mormon. He indicated that we should put greater emphasis on reading the Book of Mormon and living the teachings of the Book of Mormon. And then he invited the entire membership of the Church to follow him in doing so. What has been the result? Why so great has been the demand for more and more copies of the Book of Mormon that new printing presses have been acquired just to keep up with the demand? Every day, every week, at President Benson's office, there happens to be delivered letter upon letter upon letter from those who have read the Book of Mormon. Some are from little children, where they sign their names from the bottom corner right up to the top. Others are beautifully engraved, but they all say the same message. Our lives have been improved. Our families united. Our goals have been attained. And souls have been saved. Such is the power, my brethren, of a prophet of God. Let us remember, however, as Elder Perry mentioned in his stirring address, that we live in the world and that there are men not of our faith and women who provide good examples and who have made a difference in their own times. I think of Lord Baden-Powell, for example, the founder of scouting. Who can measure the impact of the scout oath throughout the world? On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the scout law, to help other people at all times and keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Incalculable is the value and the result of living the scout law. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. The influence, brethren, of your personal testimonies is ever so far-reaching. The Lord instructed, The testimony which ye have borne is recorded in heaven for the angels to look upon, and they rejoice over you, and your sins are forgiven you. Do you remember, President Hinckley, when you and Brother McConkie and I served on the Missionary Executive Committee with then Elder Spencer W. Kimball? He used to read that scripture to us and then say, I want to bear my testimony every day that my sins might be forgiven me. And then with a wink in his eye, he would say, it might not be a bad idea for you three either. And Brother Hinckley and Brother McConkie and I would follow suit and bear our testimonies. The Lord also said, with some I am not well pleased for they will not open their mouths because of the fear of men. Brethren, we never know when our opportunity is going to come to give an answer to every man that asketh us, a reason for the hope that is within us, to comply with that instruction of the Apostle Peter, 
An opportunity came to me many years ago before I was a general authority. I'd been speaking at a business convention in Dallas, Texas, which is known as the City of Churches. At the conclusion of the convention and my remarks, I thought I would take a leisurely tourist ride about the city. The name of the tour was Sea Dallas, City of Churches. I boarded the bus with about 39 other passengers, made myself comfortable, and just sat back to enjoy a pleasant hour. The driver began his narration as he drove the bus forward. I can hear his words as though it were yesterday. On the left is the beautiful chapel where the Methodists meet. I looked at the building and it was beautiful. On the right, he said, is the cathedral where the Catholics worship. It too was beautiful, but then my ears perked up when he said, and in the red brick building on the hill is where the Mormons meet. Now I was really proud. And then a lady's voice from the rear of the bus could be heard saying, driver, tell me more about the Mormons. The driver moved the bus over to the side of the road turned off the ignition, spun around in his seat, and then asked, Who asked that question? And a meek little lady raised her hand and said, I did. He said, Lady, all I know about the Mormons is they meet in that red brick building in the hill to the left. Is there anyone on this bus who knows anything more about the Mormons? I gazed at the expression on each passenger's face, searching for some sign of recognition, some glimmer of an answer. But in every case, the head was being nodded in the opposite direction, I hoped. And then I came to an appreciation of the old adage, when the time for decision arrives, the time for preparation is past. And for the next 15 minutes, I gave an accounting of the reason of the hope that was within me, and I felt good inside. Brethren, oftentimes the bearing of our testimonies doesn't result in a seed that immediately takes root and flowers that bloom. On the contrary, there are those occasions where our testimonies are like bread cast upon the water that returns only after many days. I think it was one year ago, after this very priesthood meeting, when I returned home, I heard my telephone ringing. And as I picked up the receiver, a man introduced himself as Leonardo Gambardella from California. And then he posed to me this question. He said, President Monson, this is Leonardo Gambardella. I am the most newly baptized member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I need your help. Did you, by chance, have a relative named Elder Monson serving in the New England Mission 13 years ago? I said, no, I don't recall. He said it was an Elder Monson and an Elder Bonner that bore their testimonies to me when I lived in New England, and their testimonies touched my heart but I didn't follow through with those feelings. And I moved to California, and now after 13 long years, those testimonies still burned within me, and I found the other missionaries and have become a member 
I'd like to contact Elder Monson and Elder Bonner. I told him I would do my best. With the help of the missionary department and the membership department, I located the name and the address and the phone number of an Elder Monson and an Elder Bonner who served in the New England Mission 13 years ago. My conversation with Elder Bonner was rather routine, but when I called Elder Monson, I said, This is President Monson calling from the Church Administration Building. He answered, You gotta be kidding. <laughs> I told him I wasn't kidding and explained to him the conversation which I had had with Brother Gambardella. There was a long pause. He said, I remember the man. I'm sure Elder Bonner will remember the man. And then I suggested that the two of them get on the telephone and extend a word of congratulations to that newly baptized member, Elder, or rather, Leonardo Gambardella. The worth of souls is, the great in, is great in the sight of God. Brethren, we can make a difference. Whom the Lord calls, the Lord qualifies. This promise extends not only to missionaries, but to home teachers, to priesthood teachers, to bishoprics, to high counselors, to quorum officers. When we qualify ourselves by our worthiness, when we strive with faith nothing wavering to fulfill the duties appointed to us, when we seek the inspiration of Almighty God, we can achieve the miraculous. I love the thought behind the hymn, Improve the Shining Moments. Time flies on wings of lightning. We cannot call it back. It comes, then presses forward along its onward track. And if we are not mindful, the chance will fade away. For life is quick in passing, tis as a single day. As we leave the general priesthood meeting this night, let us determine, brethren, to shed any barnacles of sin, to prepare for our time of opportunity, and to honor the priesthood we bear through the service we render, the lives that we touch, and the souls that we're privileged to help save. For you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are an holy nation. And you, my brethren, can make a difference. To this truth I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The choir and congregation will now join in singing, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet, following which President Gordon B. Hinckley, First Counselor in the First Presidency, will speak to us. <laughs> 